going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, on page 1182. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Rachel. It's uh, great to see you all this morning. Sorry about the mic difficulties just there. My name's Michael and I'm one of the associate ministers here at Christ Church. Great to see you, especially if it's your first time with us. Um, could you please keep your Bible open there at page 1182? Because we're going to look at that passage together in a bit. But before we do that, on the screens, something for us to discuss together. Someone says, I have everything I need. Well, here's something to discuss with someone sitting nearby. Who could you imagine saying that? And can anyone really say that? Okay, just a minute to chat.
Super. Let me, uh, let me cut back in. Sorry to interrupt your chats. Um, I wonder who you picture when you imagine someone saying those words, I have every, everything I need. Maybe you picture someone like this. They're sitting on a tropical beach, soaking up the rays. They're in great health at the peak of their career. They've got a flashy car in the garage, money in the bank, and a small palace to live in. And they lean back in their deck chair and say to themselves, I have everything I need. Maybe you picture someone like that. But this morning, I'd like us to consider something different. What if the key to having everything we need isn't sun and success and stuff, and instead the key to having all we need is the Christian faith? And as soon as I say that, maybe you're thinking, really? That's the way to have it all, Christianity? Come on, really? Listen, I'm not surprised we might feel that way. And there could be all sorts of reasons why. But could this be part of it? Are we clear on what Christianity offers us? Easy to be confused about that. The old TV show Father Ted actually made a joke about this. Um, Ted, who's a priest, says that when people ask him questions about religion, he just replies with anything, really. Um, and then he makes a remark up on the screens. That's the great thing about Christianity. It's so vague, and nobody really knows what it's all about. <laughs> well, I've uh, reworded that slightly. But maybe you can relate. What's Christianity all about? Easy to be confused about that. Well, I'm happy to say Father Ted was wrong. Someone does know what it's all about. If you look back at verse 1 of that passage on page 1182, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That word apostle, that just means that Paul is authorized to speak on Jesus' behalf. He's a kind of official spokesman for the Christian faith. And that means Paul is qualified to tell us what Christianity is all about and what the Christian faith offers us. So for the next few minutes, we're just going to look at what he says. And we've got two simple points. Point one, Christianity is about supernatural blessings. Not a phrase you hear very often, is it supernatural blessings? Well, here's what I mean. Christianity is about good things, blessings, that we can have if we want them. They are supernatural in their origin. In other words, these are blessings we receive from God, rather than things we achieve for ourselves. And they are supernatural in their quality. See, what Christianity offers us is infinitely better than what we could naturally have. In fact, anyone who gets these blessings and who knows what they have really can say, I have everything I need. That's what Christianity offers us, according to Paul, supernatural blessings. So what are they? Well, Paul mentions three. First, Christianity offers us a new identity. We identify ourselves in lots of ways, don't we? Imagine introducing yourself to someone. 
Maybe we'd mention where we're from, uh, our family, our school, our career, our relationship status, uh, our hobbies, that kind of thing, which is all well and good. Until I mention that I went to this school, and then you mention that you went to that school with a slightly better reputation. And so I mentioned that I went to this university. And then you mentioned that you've got those letters after your name. And so I drop in that I live in this area. And you reply that you happen to live in this area, which is really rather nice. Now, you may not, may not have had an exchange quite like that, but we all know that anxious feeling of wanting to prove yourself, looking in the mirror, wondering, how will people see me? Tweaking your social media to have just the right image, wanting the exam results, the promotion, the car, not because you really need it, but for the status it'll give you. Dropping in your achievements to conversation and not mentioning your failures. And in all these ways, trying to construct for ourselves an identity that's enough, but always anxious that it's not enough. Well, Christianity offers us an identity that doesn't need any polishing up. Look with me at verse 2. This is a letter, a letter written by Paul, and verse 2 tells us he's writing to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, that might read like a, an address for the postman so he knows where to deliver the letter, but uh, it's not. It's Paul telling the Colossians their identity, like he's saying to them, do you know who you are? Well, here's who. You are God's holy people. The God of the universe sees you as perfect, special to him. More than that, he's your father, and you are his beloved children. A new identity holy children of God our Father. Now, for you and I, that can be our identity. It's not who we are naturally, but it can become our identity supernaturally because there is one person who is holy before God his Father, Jesus. And if you and I get connected up to him, then his identity becomes our identity. It's a bit like being in an airplane. See, if you ask me right now to start flying at 30,000 feet, well, I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's impossible. But an airplane can. And if I get into an airplane, and that airplane starts flying with me in it, well, suddenly, what is true of that airplane becomes true of me. And if it's flying at 30,000 feet, then I am flying at 30,000 feet because I am in it. And similarly, I cannot construct this new identity for myself. It's impossible. But if I'm connected up to Christ, if I'm in him, then as with being in the plane, what is true of him becomes true of me. Jesus is perfectly holy before God his Father. And in Christ, I am perfectly holy before God my Father.
That's what's on offer, a new identity, holy children, loved by God our Father. And if someone receives that identity and it really sinks in what they have, then here's the difference it will make. It will be so liberating for them. They can look in the mirror and be okay with what they see and what other people see because in God's eyes, they're perfect. They'll spend less time broadcasting their success and more time being open about their failures because they're not anxious about their status anymore. It's settled. And they'll still care about their exams and their work and their hobbies, but they won't use those things to prove themselves. They'll just enjoy them because they're loved children of God their Father, and that really is enough. So Christianity offers us a new identity. Second, it offers us a secure hope. I wonder how you would finish the sentence, I hope, dot, dot, dot. I hope Team GB win lots of medals. I hope I pass my driving test. I hope this year is better than last year. I hope I can pay my bills. I hope that relationship works out. I hope I go to heaven when I die. What are you hoping for? We hope for all sorts of things. The problem is those hopes are insecure. They may or may not come true. And we hope they do, but we can't be sure. Well, Christianity offers a secure hope. Look with me at verse five. Paul talks about faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. The hope stored up for you in heaven. Just notice a few things about that. Notice this hope is secure because it's the hope, not I hope. When I say I hope, well, that's just a wish in my head that may or may not come true. This is different, this is the hope. It's something real outside of me. And notice this hope is secure because of where it is. It's in heaven. Now let's be honest, you might be thinking to yourself, I hope in heaven doesn't sound secure at all. It sounds like supernatural nonsense. I want stuff I can see and touch, real things. But I want, to say, I want to say this hope is secure precisely because it's not like that. Let me try to illustrate this. Imagine a child who loves her toys and her parents decide to open a bank account for her to save something up that she can have later. Now to the child, of course, this is rubbish. She wants real toys and books and games you know, that she can see and touch. What is money in a bank account? That's not real. But one day a tornado hits the house and everything is destroyed and the child is distraught that all their things are gone. But then they grow up and realize that their parents have stored up for them riches because though they couldn't see and touch what was in the bank account, no storm could touch it. And it was stored up safe and secure for them to enjoy. Now, it's not a perfect illustration. Sadly, bank accounts aren't always that secure. But you get the idea. Because this hope is in heaven, 
it's safe and secure whatever happens to our other hopes. Other hopes might disappoint us, but this one can't be touched. And finally, notice this hope is secure because it doesn't depend on us. Verse 5, Paul doesn't say it's a hope stored up by you, but the hope stored up for you. This hope doesn't depend on us and what we do, but on God and what he's done. See, naturally, it's like we're disqualified from heaven. Picture a dangerous driver taken to court and disqualified from driving for their crimes. No hope they'll ever be back on the road. Well, the Bible would say that you and I are guilty of crimes against God and other people, what it calls sins. And these crimes disqualify us from heaven. And left to ourselves, we have no hope of changing that. But verse 12 speaks of giving joyful thanks to God the Father. Why? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, crimes. That's what God does for disqualified people. He connects us up to the one person who is qualified for heaven, Jesus, and that qualifies us too. And in Jesus, we are given the hope of an eternity of life and joy and blessing, secured not by us, but for us. So a secure hope. And lastly, Christianity offers us a maturing character. I'm a, a minister in training, and part of that means I go to training seminars every now and then. And a while ago, I went to one on funerals. And the guy leading it had taken loads of funerals across his time. And he said to us, I'm going to tell you the secret, how not to die. Do you want to know how not to die? Well, I think I've learned it across all the many funerals I've taken. Here it is. Be the worst person you can possibly be. Because of all the eulogies I've ever listened to at funerals, every single, one, every single person has been an absolute saint. <laughs> they haven't done anything wrong. And so the way not to die must be, be the worst person you can possibly be. That's just a bit of fun. But if we're honest, there are things we hope aren't mentioned in our eulogy that we wish were different about us. And it's not that we lost that football match or that we didn't get that promotion, but it's that we lost our temper when we lost that football match, or that we were seething with envy about the person who did get that promotion. In other words, it's stuff about our character that we wish was different. Well, Christianity offers a maturing character. That's what Paul's praying for in verse 10. Check out verse 10. He asks for God's help so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. He's praying for changed lives. And if this change happens in us, then our character will mature in four ways. One, we'll become 
more consistent. Paul prays, verse 10, that we'll start bearing fruit in not some good works, but every good work. See, we might think of ourselves as good people, but the truth is we're good to some people some of the time. We're patchy in our goodness, aren't we? Well, Paul is praying that we'd become more consistent in it, that we start noticing the people we'd normally ignore, that we'd serve others in public and behind closed doors, and that in every way we'd become more useful and fruitful in goodness. Isn't that good? Two, we'll become more teachable. Like Paul prays in verse 10, we'll be growing in the knowledge of God. Cambridge is very full of, uh, is full of very knowledgeable people, isn't it? But it's also full of know-it-alls. And if we want to grow in knowledge without becoming big-headed, then we need to be growing in our knowledge of God. Because the thing about God is, He is infinite. There's no end to Him. And the more we get to know Him, the more I'll realize how big He is and how little I am. And I can spend all of this life and all of eternity getting to know Him, and I'll never get to the bottom of who He is and how wonderful He is. And I'll become more enthralled and humble and teachable as I get to know Him. Well, three, we'll become more steady. See, naturally, we're a bit like boats that are fine when they're sailing on calm waters, but when the wind starts blowing and the waves start coming, they rock from side to side and maybe even tip over. Well, Paul prays, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience. In other words, that we become more steady. The kind of people who receive a diagnosis or are made redundant or some other difficulty, and though it's hard, it doesn't capsize us. Not because we're strong, but because we are strengthened with all of God's power. And finally, we'll become more thankful. Remember someone saying that they had a very unhappy childhood and then reflecting, actually, their life was great, had a great childhood, but they were just very ungrateful. Their character spoiled their circumstances. Well, Paul prays, verse 12, that we'd be giving joyful thanks to the Father that we become more and more the kind of people who aren't grumpy or angry, but who are thankful because God has been so good to us. And it's not that we'll be perfect, but over time, we really will mature. The rough edges will become smoother. The ups and downs will get smaller. And over time, we will mature in a rich character that's more consistent in goodness and teachable, and steady in difficulty, and thankful. That's what Christianity offers us. And can I ask, is that not really attractive? Isn't that the kind of person we want to be? When we meet people like that, we think to ourselves, they have something. What is it they have? 
Well, here's what they have. Not some inner strength of character, but God at work in them. Remember, Paul gives us this description of a, of a maturing character, not in a commandment, but in a prayer. In other words, when he describes this kind of person, he's not asking us to do this for God. He's asking God to do this for us. And what we could never become in ourselves, God can make us into in Jesus. Well, let me draw this together. Do we see what Christianity offers us? A new identity, a secure hope, a maturing character, supernatural blessings that mean you really can say, I have everything I need. And the obvious question is, how do you get them? Who is this for? And that's where we'll finish. Point one, Christianity is about supernatural blessings. Much more briefly, point two, these are for ordinary Christians. All this stuff about supernatural blessings, who is Paul saying it to? Well, he's saying it to very ordinary people who've become very ordinary Christians in a very ordinary way. He tells us that an ordinary man called Epaphras shared the Christian message with them about being connected up to Jesus and the difference that makes. They accepted the message and put their faith in Jesus. They became Christians. And so who has these amazing spiritual blessings? Well, Paul says to these very ordinary Christian people, you do. You have all of them. And here's the point for you and me. The way we receive God's blessings is very simple. We hear the message about Jesus and we put our faith in him. And that's it. Well, we'll see more of that as we look at the rest of Paul's letter this term. Here's what we have in store. If you are a Christian, someone marked by faith in Jesus and love for your Christian family, then this is yours. Uh, uh, and through the rest of this letter, Paul will reassure us that we have it all in Christ. And by God's grace, by the end of this term, we'll be able to say more wholeheartedly, I really do have everything I need. And if you're not yet a Christian believer, then can you see that you can have everything and the way to have it is very simple, simply by hearing about Jesus and getting connected up to him. We just started this letter. Can I encourage you to come back and see what else Paul has to say to us? You'd be really, really welcome. And if you've got a taste tonight, today, why not come back next week? Well, let me say a prayer as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us in this old letter of the Bible. And thank you that you show us the way to have it all by being connected up to Jesus, your son. Please help us, if we're believing in him, to be reassured this term of all we have in him. And please help us, if we're not yet Christians, to come to know him. Please give us the help we need. And we pray that our questions would be answered as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.